Well, it's another Tuesday evening on 97.3 City FM. It means one thing and one thing only. It's time for the most relevant technology conversation on Ghana Radio. It's time for City Trends. My name is Philip Ashwan. It's a pleasure to come your way once again with City Trends. Today we are discussing planning the next decade of education in Africa. We'll be touching base with some folks or one particular person actually in um, Kenya, Nairobi. And we're coming home as well to get the perspectives of some um, some very interesting persons um, in Ghana. So it's going to be a pretty interesting show. So please do stick around if you're ed- interested in education and what it will take for us to get to that next level in terms of planning for the next decade in education on the African continent. We have your tech and um, the trending segments and, of course, the app segment on the show. So please please do stick and stay around for that. But you can get in touch with us on our WhatsApp number 0549-986-996 if you have a thought to share about what we're going to be talking about today. Do you think we're doing enough in terms of planning for the next decade of education in Africa? Well, let us know. 0549-986-996. Alternatively, you can get in touch with us using the hashtag city trends that is c-i-t-i-t-r-e-n-d-s so get in touch with us using the hashtag c-i-t-i-t-r-e-n-d-s this is city trends and we are live and interactive Um, so, yes, it is another Tuesday evening on 97.3 City FM, and we, of course, are going to have a technology-related conversation. And today we are very, very excited because we are going to be talking about planning the next decade of education in Africa. And um, we, we have a guest who um, has done quite a bit in the area of education on the continent and um, conquering... Um, as well on on the global scene and it's always nice to have people who are knee deep in 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 building new solutions for the world joining us on the show um today 
Um, I'm going to get my guest to introduce herself and tell us basically what she does, and then we're going to dive straight into the conversation. Salim, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Please, please tell my listeners who you are and why um, you you are such an awesome person to talk to every day. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. My name is Anne Salim from Nairobi, Kenya. Um, I'm an education technology specialist. Uh, product manager, researcher, it really depends on when you catch me during the day. I've been in the ed tech field for the last 10 years. Uh, I started out as a research manager at iHub, uh, an innovation entrepreneurship ecosystem uh, in tech in Kenya uh, that, that has been practicing and supporting entrepreneurs building different innovations. Um, and then uh, for a little while in 2015, I went to work with Aneza Education that has operations in Kenya, Tanzania, and Ghana, and other countries in West Africa as their chief of operations. And now I'm currently practicing as a product manager at, uh, at Longhorn Publishers, uh, where I build more education solutions. Um, one of the things that I do a lot and also in my free time is I run kids' hacker camps. I've also published extensively on that, where we teach kids how to build anything with electronics, but we also teach them basic concepts of assembly programming and design. Uh, for a long time, we ran this through our initiative, Was I Experience, which is on Facebook, um, and then as the kids' hacker camps that were run by iHub. Uh, I'm very big on researching how education uh, can be lev- can leverage technology to make it easier for learners to acquire new skills and knowledge. Um, I love the mobile device, so I'm also looking at how to do uh, different things with a mobile device so that learners can enjoy learning new skills. And in my personal time right now, I'm trying to build a little PCB board, which can teach kids how to do basic electronic projects at home. Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty exciting times to be alive. <laughs> you, you, are, you are very, very busy, it would seem, and um, I guess that's why it's, it's such a pleasure to to actually have you join us for this conversation. That's a long list of things that you have been involved in, but um, let, let's let's start off from giving us an overview of what, from where you sit, where, where you think Africa's education system stands today, um, with all this pandemic, with, you know, um, all that was even happening before the pandemic, because we know there were a few talking points before the pandemic as well. Um, where, where does Africa's educational system stand currently? Well, I was looking at a couple of reports online. Um, I think 1.5 billion learners, about 91% of the world's student population are are affected by COVID. Um, and, and and what this means is because schools have been shut down, universities, uh, etc., a lot of people are now at home. So how can we ensure that they are still learning? And especially for a lot of African schools, in addition to just going to school, this was also a place where people would get their meals for especially the, the, the ones who were not very privileged. So that's affected as well. Um, mentally, we're looking at big breakdowns coming in because uh, staying at home and working from home comes with added uh, pressures that people are not very Ill, well equipped to deal with. So. Uh, education is at a really crucial standstill right now and it's up to us to adapt or die. <laughs> um, I yeah. hope we don't die really. No, I, I, pre- I pray we don't. I pray we don't. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're seeing, because uh, a lot of people are affected, if we look at it just in simple terms, uh, there's teachers who now have to figure out a new way to engage the learners. There's the learners who are at home. Uh, most of the time we associate staying at home for long periods with being a holiday. But now it's not really a holiday. It's staying at home during the school periods. So how do people still acquire knowledge and skills and, 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 and learn? We also have the obligations of the annual education calendar. In my country, I know the government is still grappling with whether or not to suspend the, na the national exams. Uh, mm. I think right now it's still at, the national exams are still going on. So then we have all these candidates from the, for us we have uh, national exams at two levels, in high school and in primary. Mm. So we have the standard eights, I think the 13 or 14 year olds, and then we have the form fours, that's the 18, 17, 18 year olds who have national exams to also prepare for in this during this COVID. Mm. So it's a little bit stressful, you might say, wow. because then now uh, how do they revise and prepare exactly. adequately for the exam? We don't even know exactly. if they'll be able to meet to do the exam. So how will, <laughs> so mm. it, uh, normally the exam comes with a lot of pressure. If you fail, then you don't get a chance to enroll into the best schools in high school or the same way that if you fail in high school, then you don't get to get access to the best universities. Mm. So how can they bridge that gap? Yeah. Wow. It, it, it looks, it all looks, it all looks, it, it all looks very grim. And um, when like, you know, when you talk about it, it, it just looks like there is no positive anywhere. Or do you see? No, no, there's a lot of positive stuff. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. There is a lot of positive stuff. Um, well, uh, for us who are building EdTech solutions, it's been a great time to launch our product or re-engage customers to remind, remind them to engage our product. Uh, I think, especially here in Kenya, a lot of us who are in the EdTech space came together. We had companies uh, offering to list us in their, in their portal so that anyone who was looking for education solutions could be accessed more easily. We're seeing a lot of uh, goodwill from telecos who are giving us free bundles for users to access our sites. Um, I'm especially excited by seeing how more people are collaborating and sharing tools and resources that they're using to create and disseminate uh, the education resources across. Uh, we're seeing also innovators who are outside the education space but who deal with complementary services like maybe providing meals uh, to kids who are they used to feed them in the schools, but now they have to feed them at home. So they're alternating their models of delivery. And through them, we can also partner with them and distribute workbooks and resources to share to the students so that they can be able to revise at home. So, I mean, there's a lot of exciting stuff. Of course, our government has continued also to provide um, uh, education uh, content via the national television, the radios. So I'm trying to make sure that everybody can be accessed, whether they're online or offline. Do, do you get the sense that do, do you get the sense that some of these positives are also reflective of what's happening in on, on in other African countries? Uh, in what way? Maybe you can clarify. I mean, in terms of you know, um, for example, have you noticed in some African countries where edtech is becoming like a big thing in terms of its deployment? Because there are various forms of deployment. You know, what sort of stories are you hearing? on the continent that, you know, kind of make you feel that, you know, there's a positive to all of this? Uh, well, uh, so the one of the groups that I really like uh, is a WhatsApp group where we are in called Offline Teaching in Africa. 
Uh, so one of the first things that they did was uh, everybody would share resources on their virtual summits uh, or, or on different uh, resources that are available. This is people across Africa who we don't know, most of us don't know each other except for those of us who are in the same countries, are uh, just sharing best practices and success stories of what's working. And it was a really, really good place to start. So imagine March, I think for us in Kenya, we had our first case the first week of March. Uh, and this group was formed just around that time where everybody's a little bit confused of what do I do next? Where do I start? And seeing everybody come together, share resources and tools, and then even put together like a funding resource. So in case there was a lot of investors who were also saying, hey, here's some money for this COVID crisis. So imagine you're looking for money to fund your project. You can be able now to access a resource where it says, hey, reach out to this so-and-so, they're funding education projects, and you can try your luck there. So there was a lot of collaboration. I think that's one of the best things about this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it's great that we do have these collaborations. And I mean, that's what you are hoping for, you know, from where you sit. But I mean, that kind of gives us a sense of how Africa then is adapting to a post-COVID world and regarding its educational system, how much, how much do you think, how much do you think is going to change? How much do you think is going to change um, after all of this has blown over? Um, in terms of what are, is there going to be? Sorry, and, 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 uh, sorry, hello. No, no, please go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so sorry, I thought my connection was off. Yeah, so I mean, one of the greatest things is we're we're doing more production in-house. Uh, we're seeing the government reallocating funding uh, for people who are manufacturing locally, uh, which is really, really exciting, which means then uh, a lot of the focus that had shifted to getting things from the West or from the East will now focus on what is the talent in-house, who are the talented experts in the country that we can leverage on, which creates more interest in people also looking at what skills are these that people are looking for right now and how can we acquire them. I'm also very excited that top universities across the world have been sharing their, their, their content for free. I think Harvard had some courses that were free and other universities as well. And so now where I didn't have a chance to go to Harvard, for example, then I can still do a Harvard course yeah. from the comfort of my living room. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's pretty exciting, which means I can acquire the skills much faster. Um, yeah. Uh, what else is exciting? Um, well, uh, with regards to education specifically, we're seeing a lot of policy documents and policy adapting. I think for a long time, there were some limited policy where you couldn't take certain devices into the classroom. But now we're seeing the idea of the classroom expanding. (laughs) And so hopefully this will be good in the long run. We're seeing the government also uh, uh, respond much faster to approving educational content that's being created uh, as opposed to the longer time where it takes about three to four months to get the approval. We're seeing them respond a little bit much faster because it's easier to scale your content if you have the approval from the government. For example, if you want to reach a wider scale, yeah. One of the things that, um, uh, um, yeah, yes, one of the things that uh, has often come up is the issue of how the traditional idea of a classroom is probably not going to be um, the same ever again. Um, is that is that Africans wishing for something that they don't have the resources to support or? Is that what the actual situation is going to be? 
to be honest, uh, I'm a bit 50-50 on it. Um, one, yes, we still have some rural areas with horrible classroom environments where the students learn under trees and don't have the correct infrastructure. Infrastructure has always been a big problem with regards to the classroom. But uh, on the other hand, we're seeing now if the idea of the classroom changes or shifts a little bit, then infrastructure ceases to be the issue. But when infrastructure ceases to be the issue, then other issues become access to capital, human capital. So in this case, uh, I think with all the word bank statistics and what we're seeing reality on the ground is we still don't have enough teachers. So then uh, if we're changing the idea of the classroom, uh, human capital is still an issue we would have to fix. Um, so, so I'm a little bit 50-50 on this. Uh, for, for us in Kenya for a long time, I think uh, th this last government has been allocating a big budget towards digital education, right? But then uh, when they distribute the devices into the schools, uh, I think they had targeted to take one million devices into the classrooms. Then the new issues that were coming about were they had done the training, but the training was not enough. And then the devices are not enough. And then also how how to scale for the next class. So if, if I start using the devices right now as a grade one student, the assumption is that I would have to use the devices in the next year and the next year. So that means uh, we're still going to have capital requirements for the hardware or the software technologies that mm -hmm. need to be implemented. So yes, we're shifting from a physical infrastructure, but we're moving to digital infrastructure, but that's still something that needs to be built even further. Well, I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Uh, listeners, you're still tuned in to City Trends on 97.3 City FM, and we are having a very insightful conversation um, with Salim all the way in Nairobi, Kenya. We're talking about planning the next decade of education in Africa and what, what great insights we're, we're getting. Well, Salim, um, if you can indulge us, what are some of the real challenges facing African countries today regarding their efforts to digitize their educational system? Hmm, that's a hard question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't spent a lot of time looking at governments in general mm. <laughs> but but uh, I, I must say uh, for me I was really looking at different technologies that were being implemented across African countries because mm. I was looking at uh, there was an SMS technology boom for a lot of text-based education services uh, I think when you go to the annual e-learning Africa conference uh, it's usually the best time to see all the different technologies being deployed in the country and the different ministries of education have been uh, eager to make sure that no child is left behind. I think that's one of the best policies that I have seen around. And so devolving things. I'm not sure I can answer your question correctly right now. <laughs> I'm out of touch with the statistics of what Africa is doing on a larger scale. Are you, are you impressed though by efforts so far at digitizing um, education on the continent? We're making great strides, I would say. <laughs> A very politically correct answer, obviously. <laughs> I, I must say I'm really out of touch with the statistics. Uh, mm. I, I mean, aside, because you see, I, I always feel that the statistics are one thing, but the reality on the ground are, is sometimes often, you know, a completely different story altogether. And I, I just wonder, like, from a practical education person's standpoint, 
when you look at the practical yeah. side of things, aside all the data that is collected, which sometimes can be problematic, are you are you impressed? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start with the one thing all the governments uh, united have done is increase connectivity across their countries. Mm. I think from Rwanda to Kenya, well, across East Africa into West Africa, we're seeing a lot of efforts between the government and the private sector uh, where they're increasing access uh, connectivity because without connectivity, it becomes very hard to scale. I think another similarity across the countries is a lot of governments now are also trying to introduce some level of online education, right? Mm. And, and, and I think the, the most widespread technology so far has been MOOCs, uh, the, uh, the um, massive open online courses, <laughs> MOOCs, yeah. Uh, but, but then uh, beyond that, uh, we're also seeing um, them doing a lot of free content uh, versus paid content uh, kind of moves for sustainability. So uh, the, the trick is normally where do you start? So I think in, I, I can speak better for Kenya because I have been tracking what's been happening in Kenya more than I've been tracking what's been happening across Africa. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that would help. No, that, 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 would, that would be helpful. At least it would be a good lesson, be a good lesson for other educators or other people who are within the edutech you know see to understand what is happening for example in kenya yeah well, well for sure connectivity uh, for, for let's look at the different levels of education so for primary education secondary education i think one of the big things that has happened in the last uh, seven years is uh, ensuring first there's access to electricity in all the schools and the government has done really well on that and then uh, partnering with the private institutions, they have also tried to extend internet access into the schools. And then they provided a budget uh, to provide now devices into the schools. And then there was also a lot of capacity building and training for the teachers to make sure that uh, all these efforts are going hand in hand. And then another thing for us who are in the private sector players, uh, the government does annual calls where they invite us to submit our content for review. And if you pass, you get listed in a, a resource where all the head teachers and, uh, and administrators of schools can see that you are approved by the government and they should purchase content from you. So there's been that step-by-step -step progression. But then I'm a big advocate for STEM education. So it's been very exciting to see programming introduced in school curriculums. Um, basic programming uh, because 21st century skills is something we need to adapt for right now. I think we, we, we leapfrogged in Africa because we jumped straight to mobile and we've done amazing things with mobile including mobile money. So now things the governments are looking at is in addition to language, teaching language and other things, we're also teaching basic 21st century skills, how to communicate digitally, how to, uh, pro how to write computer software, uh, and we're seeing a lot of people introduce similar curriculums in their, I think, after-school programs. And we're mm. hoping that this will also make its way to the in-school program. We're seeing a lot of adaptation of competency-based curriculums. I think that's something that's been on a national level. So uh, for us here, the CBC means parents and students are, uh, are doing assignments together as opposed to the reality, the responsibility being solely on teachers. And it's a lot of creative work, critical thinking, problem-solving kind of tasks, which is pretty cool because then 
we're slowly moving away from what has been our course for the longest time where we were doing a lot of rote learning i'm struggling to learn to pass an exam to now people starting to learn for the sake of learning right um i'm really hoping that the one thing that will kick off is that as we adapt the idea of the classroom that we'll move to lifelong learning as a practice where learning doesn't stop when i'm in primary school or secondary school but learning is every day and learning is continuous till the day you die so so uh, we're seeing a little bit of progress in different areas from early childhood all the way to higher education uh but these little steps is what's making us more tech savvy and more adaptive to technology which is <laughs> shaping our world wow wow well we hope things do shape up much better but i mean one of the things that you're very passionate about is stem education and its role and i was just wondering if you could um give us your opinion on stem education for the next decade um in education in africa you've touched on it briefly some of your answers but i was wondering if you go straight for yeah, that one one of the things i loved uh, so we started the kids hacker camps in 2013 and, and the reason for this is all over the world i think parents always send their kids for soccer camps or uh, school camps but you never used to hear them sending their kids for ICT camps right so we were saying there's a shortage of people in stem or engineering but we were not deliberately taking an action to train young minds to do engineering at the young age so uh, in 2013 we ran the first kids hacker camp at ihub where we brought kids from different backgrounds and we taught them how to use basic computer software like scratch i think it's the mit program for basic programming and then we used design thinking as a methodology to teach kids the processes of assembly programming and design and how to think through developing any innovation and we would have this comes during the school holidays which later evolved to every month which later evolved to every saturday um and we kept iterating on the different processes finally settling on every 2 hours a kid can build a project from scratch anything from building a remote controlled car to a smart home to a home alarm system uh, to to mm. to a fire fire signal model we teach and we using resources you can access in your house so basic electronics uh we use the pcb boards arduinos the um little bits different electronic kits com- com- coupled with um coupled with now uh materials you can find at home like cardboard plastic old toys <laughs> to build actual infrastructure and then have fun with it and the whole idea is uh if i teach you how to make something uh through involving you in doing it you learn much much faster than if i showed you from a demo or a video <laughs> and so this is something i've been really excited about so fast forward to 2016 2017 we were running weekly camps at the ihub and one of the things that i found really painful was when we have this project where for example we're running a remote con- we're teaching the kids how to build a remote controlled car and we are racing and then after they want to take the project home but because the components are a little bit expensive we have to take apart their electronics and then they can keep their artwork but we have to take away our electronics so now the thinking has been how can we ensure that the kids can carry their projects home <laughs> outside of the session Uh, and so that means looking into what are some of the recyclable components we can access easily so a lot of people have all the electronics in the house you have maybe like an old broken remote or a broken toy car that had a motor inside so to make a remote controlled car you need a motor 
and, uh, and a sensor that can sense uh, signals and then the rest is just a cardboard, some wheels, uh, some sticks to join the wheels. And you put that together and you can make a smart car. So how can we now encourage kids to recycle those components from the house to make toys or to learn all these things? So then you realize, oh, we need a curriculum or we need some basic electronics that are affordable and, and we need a way to showcase the project when we're done. So that's really what we've been working on around STEM and working with different schools and, and university students who are doing engineering just to tinker around and build basic components that kids can reuse for the same I've spoken a lot. Maybe incredible, you can ask some questions. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I just wanted you to just, you know, let let us know what has been going on in the scene. But I mean, one of the things that often gets overlooked, or one of the components of the education chain, like supply chain, that often gets overlooked, especially on the continent, are the people who actually do the educating, the teachers. Um, do you feel that enough is being done to equip teachers um, for the next decade? Uh, sorry, please repeat the question. I, I was asking that teachers are often times forgotten in terms of the supply chain, in terms of the chain, um, when it comes to education, um, either through neglect in terms of their salaries and the fact that sometimes they're not paid on time, sometimes even how much they're yeah. paid and the resources that are available to them to do the education. You know, like it's, yes. it's just, it, it's kind of woeful when you think about it. And I'm just thinking yeah. that we are now having conversations about preparing our children for the next decade, um, giving them training on coding and et cetera, et cetera. But really, are, are we doing enough to position our teachers in such a way that they will be able to train and teach the next generation? I, I don't know if you see that. I mean, what's going on in that front? Um, well, there, there is some capacity building going on. I don't think it's enough though. But then um, how much can you really prepare for with 21st century skills here? Mm. So, so uh, we're not doing enough. That's one thing, at least my opinion on that. But on the other hand, uh, because we cannot create enough opportunities for the teachers to acquire the training, teachers have to find ways to create those opportunities. I think there is no shortage of people looking for skills, and and, and 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 but there is a shortage of teachers. So this is a good opportunity for teachers to position themselves better to be trainers from a global or a wider landscape. I think one of the things I'm finding really exciting with my current work is we're doing these virtual classes uh, using Zoom and and affordable technologies where the teachers can connect with students. Uh, and seeing that we are opening up for them a wider audience and now on my end I'm looking at the teachers and saying okay how much more creative can you be uh, what can you do more in your slides or in your presentation to engage the students a little bit more mm. Um, mm. and beyond just that 45 minute session that you have on the session right uh, what else are you doing to make sure that you're engaging your learners so it's a two-way street I think if the teachers are interested the audience is there uh, the challenge is now for us who build technologies. How can we uh, get more teachers onto this technology so that they can connect even further with the students? So but people that's teaching like programming and sorry, stuff. Sorry, sorry? No, finish. I had a question, but you finish. Please finish. Yeah. 
I, I, I mean, with regards to teaching, programming and stuff, I don't know if the curriculums in the teachers' training institutions are adapting just as fast. I have been privileged to be part of some of the UNESCO sessions where they, they are talking about the global curriculums being used across Africa for teachers and in-house, in, it's called in-practice training for the teachers so that they can acquire these new skills that are happening every day. But, but how fast are we adapting the curriculums to the new knowledge? For us as techies, we know technology changes in less than three months. There's always a new technology out there, right? And so we have to adapt and learn. Yeah. So are the teachers doing the same? Um, uh, the challenge now becomes how do they get that knowledge of what is new so that they can adapt to that? Which brings the problem to the universities. How fast are the universities and <laughs> teaching institutions then adapting their curriculum to stay abreast with the changing technology? So it's like this, like so many loops. Yeah, yeah. I, I do hope that we we find a way to plug those loops and and position and position the, the continent properly. And one 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 question that bugs my mind: um, Are we being realistic with with ourselves sometimes when it comes to? the future of education or education or the state of education um, on a continent. Are, are we being realistic with ourselves? Or sometimes we, we dream a little too much. Mm, well, Africa has a lot of potential. I'm really excited to be in Africa at this point, right? I, uh, Africa rising, they say. Um, um, I think we're teaching the world that Africans know how to innovate and how to do amazing things. Um, and so uh, the, the challenge again just becomes uh, how first are we putting out our knowledge out there. It's really one of the things that bugs me being in the edtech space because I was doing open access research last year in Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania. And it's really sad that some of our best knowledge, our best research papers from locals who have written amazing research papers is, is stuck in paywalls. in in research portals where you have to pay to play or to pay to access the content. So uh, I'm really hoping that on a larger scale we would move to publishing our research works in more open access repositories and journals that make it, that make it easier for people in the continent to access the knowledge that's being created every day because we have amazingly smart people. Um, but then on the other hand, um, also promoting uh, promoting those local stories. I think the shortage of the stories is what's making people think that there's not much innovation happening in Africa. But there is a lot of innovation happening in Africa. It's just that we don't know about it yet, especially in the education sector. Yeah. Nice, nice. It's it's been it's been a real pleasure um, um, having you on the show, Salim, today. It's it's been an eye opener for us, and I do appreciate you making the time to join us for this conversation and um, all the very best with everything that you're doing on your side of the continent and um, i'm sure that there'll be a lot more collaborations um, between ghana and um, kenya very soon if, if they are not already happening and in motion thank you so much for making time to join us. well thank you for having me i hope i was able to share a few insights <laughs> well um, I, I wouldn't yeah, say uh, i wouldn't say a few there are quite there are quite a lot of things to take away from this conversation this has been awesome yeah and i look forward to coming back to Ghana again i think i was there two years ago for the tech women conference so hopefully mm. i come back there again but, well, but thank I'm, you for having me I'm, I'm looking forward to connecting when you do um so uh, listeners this this has been a, a, an incredible conversation um speaking about the next decade of education in africa 
Uh, our guests join us all the way from Kenya, Nairobi. It's it, it's been a pleasure. I do hope you've picked up a thing or two. But the conversation continues on the show. It's been a fantastic conversation, but we have our segments coming up. Don't go anywhere. This is City Trends. And speaking of segments, we jump straight into the app segment of the show. And today, Jeffrey Rukusapon brings us Deiru, I believe it's called. Take it away, Jeff. My name is Deborah Asma. I am the Chief Marketing and Operation Officer of Mpuntu Technologies. Deiru, spelled D-E-Y-W-U-R-O. It's a web application that delivers on multiple communication channel or engagement for your customers. Although Dero comes with the ever too familiar SMS notification and email alerts, there are two products on Dero that I would like to speak about. The first is our dynamic USSD. What we have done uniquely at Inpunto with Dero is that we have provided our customers with a drag and drop option. All you need to do is to go onto Dero, set up your questions. The system will generate a code for you. You can set up your own flow on the USSD code. And within seconds, you have your own code. You do not need to engage us at all to have this code set up for you. You can use it for your service, for the selling of your items, for your payments, and any other thing you are looking at. Then there is our social media model. Ideally, you might want to engage your customers on your social media platform by logging on to multiple um, platforms. You will log on to these platforms to get your posts done. We have given you the opportunity to set up all these platforms on Dero and do your post using a single click onto the selected platforms that you want. But that is not even the interesting thing. What is more interesting is that once your post, your comments, or your polls have been put on your social media platform, Daryl would collate all the sentiments of, the, of your customers or all engagements that are going on on your social media pages using our AI engine, Snowly. We would analyze your posts and the comments and the feedback and tell you whether these posts are, these comments are positive, negative, or neutral. By using Daryl with our AI engine integrated, you would have your customer sentiments analyzed for you and immediately you can attend to this. You can access Daryl by just typing Daryl.com and going through the process of creating an account for yourself or contact Inpuntu on 024-33755-20. Alternatively, you can send a mail to marketing at inpuntu.com. And well, that is um, our app for this week. You can check it out and let us know what your thoughts are about that. But now moving on with everything that is happening with educational technology and considering the fact that we are planning for the next phase or the next decade of um education um on on the continent is it's important that we get a perspective about what's happening in ghana as well and so i have gotten in touch with um 
an individual who has been very instrumental in the educational technology scene his name is uh, miracle gavo and um he basically is into learning design and technology um previously led design development and implementation and formative evaluation of the piloting of a standards-based curriculum he's also the founder of the ghana society for education technology and um, he joins me on the line to give us a ghana perspective on our topic for today and miracle thank you so much for joining us on the show and um, um you you heard from Anne there talking basically about um some of um the things that are happening on the continent and of course especially in kenya what would you like to say um about what's happening in ghana in terms of our preparation for the next decade of education all right thank you uh in ghana several things are taking place now within the education sector uh, one of them is literally in the capacity of teachers and just at the basic level, but also at the teacher training level. Uh, when the COVID uh, issue became a huge issue that affected the delivery of education, the first uh, government and its partners took was to reach the capacity of 1,900 uh, teachers who train our incoming teachers to be able to deliver uh, training remotely. What that does is if we've been trained to a system that catered for emergency remote teaching. Obviously, we would have come up with that system knowing how uh, emergency remote teaching is done. Uh, we have to look for the teachers and wait for the students. So the students' view and particularly for the uh, students' role is quite defined. What it means to me as a student teacher in training and a full-time teacher. And that kind of shapes the training that and the skills teacher trainers come up with. On the other side, which is the e-service teachers, just who are already uh, in the field, what are we doing for them? CES has put together a lot of uh, interventions. Uh, I pretty much know that there's an upcoming training that will train teachers uh, who are with GES entity remote teaching and how to deliver teaching within uh, the uh, current teaching panel testing. That aside, the of education through the, uh, the the unit responsible for private schools it's also working around the same thing how do they support private schools to re-engineer how they deliver teaching and learning uh, to their clients in this case the private schools uh this is the uh, uh for private uh, private school teaching so on the general front a lot of things have been happening and that is on the training side uh, in terms of reaching our students, what is happening is we've seen around the general learning series has been out there. Uh, uh, I think CCTV also is doing some projects on learning. I know they also has a learning platform. So this might be happening by different organizations, but from all down to the fact that uh, government, individual organizations within Ghana have needed to deliver some form of uh, uh, remote teaching to students. And by so doing, it also provides teachers to retain the skills they provide uh, to students. Now, you have to join uh, to facilitate uh, delivering uh, teaching through uh, to radio or through uh, strategies that will still get learning experience to the uh, students wherever they are. So, on the general, I think what's been happening with technology 
and uh, adopting it for our instruction. Uh, that's more with standing. You know, then I just developed a new curriculum, and the framework for the new curriculum did have a place for technology inclusion uh, in, in Ghana to the point that they even set standards for head teachers, standards for teachers, and standards for students in the new curriculum framework. Unfortunately, nobody has been talking about the, this standard and what is required of teachers, students, and uh, school administrators in uh, bringing technology into our education delivery package. So these are the things that probably we need to shine light on the curriculum framework requires of our education system and then looking forward into the next decade. I see. It, it, it appears there's quite a bit of work to do, though. Um, when when you think about them, there may be um, some things that are already in progress, but it appears there's a lot more work to do. And I'm just wondering, um, from where you sit, um, how much work is there um, to do from the training to the execution and everything? How much work do you think there is left to do for us to get to that next phase? Yeah. Uh, uh well, I don't know whether you want me to speak this in percentage terms or however works with you is great with me. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, the amount uh, amount of work need, uh, that needs done for us to uh, say yes, we've arrived or we've made progress is very substantial because I mean, we we trained this country to deliver face to face instruction. Here we are that. For the session of teacher training in this country, and then you're talking about the oldest teacher training in the uh, College of uh, Education, uh, um, the Cocoon, College of Education. All along, our teacher training has been training teachers to deliver face to face instruction. Here we are, and all of a sudden, have to deliver uh, in, uh, uh, teaching remotely. We are unprepared. And a lot of our teachers still uh, uh, need a lot of work to be done on them. So I find a big witness to even deliver uh, teaching. And we talk about getting, uh, including technology in the instruction. Unfortunately, every time we talk about technology inclusion in education, we limit it to digital technology. Technologies are using the shop that we talk about, using the manual cars and stuff. We don't consider them as technology. They are also technology. But the point we are now is looking at digital technology in our classroom. And we are very far away from that. We, we know where near that. Uh, the mere use of PowerPoint in itself is not enough to figure in, uh, including technology in our education delivery. And there's a lot of work to be done in terms of retooling the, the future competency to deliver uh, using the that platform. Um, from from your interaction with the educational system, how open is the system itself, i.e., um, you know, the educate the the policy makers and everybody else how open are they to sort of expanding the scope um of of what we look at when we talk about an educational system for the next decade how how open are policy makers um to embracing other forms of instruction especially um for the educational system openness i'll say we we have a very uh open policy uh, making agencies in this country and then acceptance of education technology uh, in delivering the methods of you know uh, education. For example, uh, July last year, the minister himself uh, was out to launch the Ghana Society for Education Technology. I mean, for the minister to come out to launch a Society for Education Technology in Ghana, they are very open to look at the pedagogies and look at 
uh, ways to include technology in education. And on February 27, GES headquarters actually launched another technology tool for teachers across the country for, for the teacher tap. The teacher tap is a, a, a mobile app that collects a, a survey data on teaching in Ghana. And for GES to use an app that is collect data on teaching in Ghana, so they are very open to technology in our uh, education delivery. The point is, we are not talking a lot about those things because uh, man, it, it's always been a thing where we have a group of people who feel that, oh, that's not what we've been trying to deliver uh, 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 services. And the uptake is rather the challenge. I don't think from the policy side of things we have a challenge, but the uptake of the implementers is rather from those side goals. I see. The uptake seems to be the bottleneck. What What would be your yeah. recommendations in terms of um, preparing us for the next decade um, of educational reform, though, especially when it has to do with um, getting technology and innovation mm -hmm. into you know, into the conversation? Yeah. It, it starts from the service provider. Here, the service provider, I mean, the teacher. You know, so for example, I had going to do some training and I've come out of that training to say, you know, I'm a teacher, I can do A, B, C, D, E, right? Government of Ghana has vacancies for teachers. I've applied to be deliver that service. So I'm providing service to the government of Ghana through teaching. And it takes for me to prove the quality of service that I give government. So it doesn't necessarily have to be my employer telling me, oh, I need you to start in, uh, using technology. No, that should come from the service provider, in this case, the teacher. So it's for us teachers to understand that we are in a place where our service calls for um, uh, a lot of policy to be able to meet the quality and then the demand from the, the people who sell the service. Uh, we sell the services to uh, learners through the government of Ghana or through uh, private school owners. That's, that's a medium. But if, for example, you bring a child into a classroom, uh, but said, let me just put it this way. We have Analog teachers teaching digital students. Look, we have digital citizens who are now filling up our classroom, for which reason we need to polish our skills and then deliver to meet their, their, their learning needs. We will still be having gaps and then we having, you know, this friction between uh, not performing uh, students because we're not meeting their learning needs. And unfortunately, from uh, teacher training, we, we, we don't really have trained people to learn. We always do a sit and get situation. That's how our training for a very long time has sit and get. So we have a, a critical amount of students who don't know how to learn. And this is a time where we have to look at how do we train our generation to learn the things on their own. Before we had learned to go and work. But today, learning is a work. Well, so that we, yeah, we can then solve the problems around it. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's interesting when teachers having the ability to learn as well. It's, I, I didn't think about it like that, but I see exactly where you're going with that. But um, Dan, thank you so much for your perspectives on the matter. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for making time tonight to join us. So um, you heard there, um, 
Miracle Gavo, um, Dan, who um, is an education advisor, um, basically involved with transforming teacher education and uh, learning. Let's now get to um, our training segment. Um, before we actually get to the training segment, let's get to your tech first uh, before we get to um, the training segment. So your tech basically just gives us a sense of some of the issues that you're having with the tech around you. And Ellen is the one who brings us that every week. Take it away, Ellen. Hello, beautiful people. Charlie, what's up? I hope everything is going on well with everybody, even in these hard times. On today's segment, we will be interacting with Zuta. She pretty much gave a detailed explanation as to what exactly she's being faced with. One has to do with her phone, the other has to do with her laptop. So I wouldn't talk much. I'll just go straight up and give Zuta the floor to talk about her issue. My name is Zuta. Sending this voice note from Adinta. So I have two problems. One has to do with my laptop and the other one has to do with my phone. Starting with my laptop, um, with the Microsoft Office Suite, I realized that my product activation had failed. So I couldn't edit when I opened the Microsoft Word. I couldn't use any of the key keys when I opened the Microsoft Word or any other Microsoft Office application. So I deleted the one that I had and then I tried reinstalling another one but unfortunately for me they told me that I can't reinstall another one because I already have a Microsoft Office working on my laptop meanwhile I'd already deleted the previous one I kept reinstalling and re-downloading and re-downloading only for me to realize that I can't do it in fact I tried it and it didn't work so please help me out because I need to type some documents and also on my phone I use an iPhone 7 plus and somewhere last year was it last year or this year I think this year January yeah I downloaded um PixArt for a, a picture a picture collage and then um I was supposed to use a three-day trial the three-day free trial period and after that, I was trying to be smart by cancelling it, not knowing it had activated. Like, it had activated, though. And not only some small activation, but like a whole year plan. And up to now, I owe Apple like, is this $16 or $15 for Pixart? Charlie, I can't pay that money for Pixart because I'm not even using the app anymore. And because of that, I can't download any app. I can't um, update any app. I can't do anything on App Store. And it's really stressing me. Please help me out. Thank you. Those are some interesting stuff going on with Zuta. But hey, that's what the show is for. And definitely City Trends has something that would help her and any other person going through similar issues or the same issues out. Let's take a listen to what our tech gurus have for her. Well, Zuta from Adenta. Um, apps are created by programmers. And a lot of times they invest time and effort into creating these apps. So please, whether it is a Microsoft app or an Apple app, as much as possible, try and pay for them so that they can also make a living of creating all these new programs, interesting programs for our use. That said, you said you deleted the app. I don't know what you mean by deleted the app, but if it means uninstalling the app, it means that you went through the settings and selected uninstall. I will just walk you through. To properly uninstall an app, you click on the start button, go to settings, 
in settings select system under system you will find apps and features look through the lists after selecting apps and features look through the list you find the app that you want in this case you are looking out for microsoft office when you select it you have options under it and one of the options will be uninstall select that um, a few things will happen after which it will tell you inform you that it is done uninstalling it is a good advice to restart your computer after what happens is that sometimes the app has some services that are always running on your computer so when you restart it is able to shut down and properly um, delete and stop all those services and instructions from ever running on your computer again then you can properly install a new application with your iphone 7 if you want to properly um put an end to a subscription okay cancel a subscription what you have to do is go to the settings app the first item you see in the settings app will be your name that you use to register your apple id select it when you select it um, i think the third option you have will say subscriptions select it and if it asks you to enter your apple id please do that and select choose to view your apple id sign in and again select subscriptions all the apps that you are subscribed to will be listed select the app that you are talking about that is a pix art and when you select it you have an option that shows up that says cancel subscription that should work you And well, that is how you go about solving those problems. Let's jump straight into the training segment of the show with Mr. Entry. Thank you, Philip, and I welcome you all to yet another informative set of technology stories for the week. Let's start off with the government of Ghana's new initiative to help digitalize our economy. So the government of Ghana has launched a new platform, Ghana.gov, where citizens can have access to government services, including applying for a passport, registering your new business, filing your income tax, registering your marriage, and many other more. According to government, Ghana.gov will serve as a national digital payment platform to enhance the digitalization agenda. You can access the platform at Ghana.gov.gh. That is Ghana.gov.gh. To our next story of the week, Google has updated its map app. That is Google Map with features to help us fight COVID-19. So looking at the new features, key among them is a newly enhanced crowdedness prediction which will help you safely avoid crowds at bus lines. This crowdedness prediction will help you see how crowded a particular bus line is. They've also made it very easy and simple for people or individuals to contribute to the crowdedness information for various bus lines or stations all in the Google Maps app. So before you leave your office, either today or leave your home tomorrow, you can check and know how crowded your bus stations are to avoid crowds. And to our last story of the week, let's look at what's happening in the telecommunication industry with regards to the Ministry of Communications bid to break MTN's dominance. So the Ministry of Communications says available data indicates that MTN continues to be a dominant player in the telecom space 
having more than double and in some cases quadruple subscription numbers to its closest rival, a situation the government of Ghana finds troubling. So, it has directed the National Communication Authority, NCA, to enforce the provision of the Electronic Communications Act 2008 and the National Telecommunications Policy to address the strong imbalance in the markets and revenue share of the telecom industry. This move has had some of the industry watchers of Ghana's telecommunications space talking. Some has asked government to tread cautiously with its plan to implement the policies mentioned before. Some also believe this move appears to be one which will punish innovative and successful businesses. What do you also think? Let's hear from you. This brings us to the end of the set of stories for this week. You can follow me on Twitter at OYENTRY. Over to you, Philip. And yes, that is the end of the show. Um, I do hope you you enjoyed it. Thank you so much to all my panelists as well. And um, of course, to our studio technician, Daniels, for um, assisting us and making everything work out. That will be all for today's show. Um, the show will be available as a podcast first thing tomorrow. So please try and find it on any podcasting platform and take a listen. Till next week, stay techy.